Hi, my name is Alan. I'm a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers who not only solve user challenges, but also achieve business goals. In the fourth episode of Beyond Users, I spoke with Mark Hemian. Mark is a true veteran in the design community. He's actually been doing it since 1996. He's led the design at uh, companies like YouTube, Google Ventures, Oakley, Dick, Design Inc. And lately, he's been at East Central. Of course, he's also founded companies. He's been a freelancer. You name it. He's done it all. So in this episode, we spoke about his experience. First of all, how he became designer in 1996. Uh, and then we went into more concrete stuff. Like uh, one of the things that really stuck out for me was this distinction between the art and design and how ugly design can actually beat beautiful design through sheer function, right? We talked about examples like Amazon, Craigslist, and and so on. We also talked um, about one thing that a lot of listeners wanted to hear, which is how you can explain the value of your work to non-designers. Um, and Mark's answer to this was uh, storytelling and finding the right metrics. Just one more thing before diving into the episode. If you want to learn more about business, um, you can visit my website, beyondusers.com, and there you can take a five-day email course, which I put together. It's called Mini MBA for Designers. And in these emails, I present five business concepts that are relevant for designers and that I've also used in my design process. So that's available on beyondusers.com. And now, without further ado, here is a conversation with Mark Hemian. So Mark, uh, first of all, how did you get into design? I heard in one of your talks that you said you've been designing since 1996, which is almost like when I was born. <laughs> I'm joking, <laughs> but uh, it's like more than 20 years ago. Design wasn't that popular back then, right? So how did you even hear about design, let alone get into it? We've always had graphic design. It's been around for a long, long time. I had a computer growing up. When I turned 18, my mom got me a job. And that's when I started designing officially for money. It's $6 an hour with a man named Hugh McGee. And he was this gregarious man. He owned the domain name details.com, which I'm sure he's since sold it. But he was a local graphic designer for the town I grew up in, in Vienna, Virginia. And he was a traditional agency kind of guy. He was the showman. He was the madman. People would come in and listen to his stories. He would sell them a logo a restaurant menu, whatever it is. And he's the one who taught me, I think, salesmanship. He taught me how to tell a story. He taught me like these fundamental principles that I've used kind of for the rest of my life. And what's interesting about Hugh is he was also, um, he also had a big heart. He, he was what's called, you know, I don't know what, what you have in Germany, but over here they have these programs, sponsorships for people who are trying to quit drugs or alcohol, alcohol, right? So, so he was part of an organization called Narcotics Anonymous. And Narcotics Anonymous has different symbols that they have on their, on their tokens that they give out to folks who have been sober for one year, five years, et cetera. And he would always, you know, we'd always have people coming into the office. Um, half of them were clients. The other half were recovering drug addicts who wanted to spend time with you. 
because he just had this light about him. He just was this very open person. And, um, and he sponsored just dozens and dozens of people. Anyway, so we all, so he always made me in any design I did, I always had to hide symbols of narcotics anonymous. And I think it taught me early days that, you know, what really you can use design to tell a story and to kind of hide certain messages. And, and to this day, when I do logos or even product design or anything, there's always little things that I'm adding or tweaking that, you know, maybe someone will notice someday, but it's okay if they don't, they're kind of in there for me. And, um, and I think that's kind of where things started. And I got to give my mom credit. She kind of forced me to take the job. I didn't really want to. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. You said that Hugh taught you how to sell, right? Is there any specific story how he used to do that? Yeah. One thing that he always did when he was selling a logo is he realized quickly that a logo is such a um, emotional project for many founders, for many business owners. Even, even if it's just, even if the business is a small mom and pop thing up to a big fortune 100 company, there's like the same emotional investment. People really care. And what he learned is he, he, he taught me that you can't convince someone to love your design, no matter any amount of talking or anything. But what you can get people to agree upon is emotions. And what I mean by that is he would bring people in and he would force them to pick 10 adjectives that would describe the emotion that people wanted to have after they experienced their brand. And he would define brand as everything from, of course, what the window dressing looks like and the, and the business cards and the logo um, down to what it, what it felt like to interact with the customers and you know, the business folks, the employees. He, he taught me early on that like, look, anytime someone comes and interacts with your company, whatever they feel, that's your brand, period. And if they have a bad experience because your product breaks or because this customer service was bad, then that's your brand. If they look at your signage and your colors and they, you know, get some excited or whatever, that's your brand. If they take a bite of your food and it's like undercooked and raw, that's your brand. And so he went through this exercise that founders would come in and he would talk to him, teach him about this adjective thing. And we'd write these 10 adjectives on the wall. And then we'd go through each one of them and we'd hammer them down until we just picked three. And that we did that before we did any design, anything. And we, and we like all shook hands. And we said, okay, here's our three adjectives. This, lo- this brand has to be edgy. It has to be futuristic. And it has to be uh, evocative. Let's say those are our three adjectives. <laughs> that way, then we would go and we'd do work for a couple of days. And we'd invite the client back in and we'd put everything on the wall that we, that we did. And we would ask those, we would have those three words in the wall. And now all of a sudden, we're not arguing against people. It's not my opinion versus your opinion. We're arguing about, does this make me feel, does this mark make me, is this evocative? What does the word evocative really mean? And or does it feel edgy? No, maybe that's too safe. Maybe that's too calm. And it, and it created a wonderful structure to have delightful arguments about design without getting anyone's feelings hurt. Because as soon as, you, as soon as someone says, well, I like blue. And you and you have a logo that's red, black, or gray. You know what? You've just you've just fundamentally put a a knife through that person's heart and said you don't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. And 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 there's no greater way to turn someone off than to pretend like they don't matter and that they're not seen. And so that 
And I've always used that technique to remove people's opinions from a discussion. And, and I think, frankly, that's why in, in modern UX design, my, people are always talking about, well, let's talk about the user. And what they're doing is they're, they're just removing the argument between the two people in the room, between an engineer and a designer or a product manager and a designer. They're, they're, they're kicking the can <laughs> to this user who's off in some other realm somewhere using the software. And it makes it safe. It really does. It makes it safe. Um, now, I will say from time to time, there were moments when, when, when Hugh would happen. And, and, and that means he would stand up and he would give an impassioned speech and he would push for, push for a certain design direction when he could tell clients and people were stuck. And, you know, the adjective thing didn't work or, you know, whatever. And that's, and that's when the power of charisma, storytelling, confidence really kind of lean in and he would and he would say things like i've done this a long time i feel this particular direction will really serve you well i've seen it before and this and, you know and he, and he would loan people his confidence and a lot of people really like that you know that really resonated with a lot of people they didn't trust their own opinions because they could trust hughes and you know, I try not to do that though too often because I don't want people to resent me if the direction was wrong or if the idea was wrong. I mean, it's really important that you get buy-in from everyone. That's why when you're dealing with like multiple stakeholders, you know, sometimes you spend a week designing and then you spend four weeks just talking to everybody, and that's okay. Like that talking is also design, and a lot of designers get kind of frustrated because you know maybe they spend a day, ten hours of actual design work, actual hands-on crafting. And then they get discouraged that it takes them two weeks to sell the idea, to put a deck together, to do a user, you know, whatever they, whatever extra stuff they got to do to convey their idea. Um, I think people get frustrated. That was a long answer. Sorry, dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, no, uh, it totally makes sense. But I wanted to ask you, how did you or how do you today sell this branding design? Because to business people, it, it's not always clear or obvious that it's valuable, right? So. How do yeah. you convince someone to invest in branding? <clears throat> I, the last eight months I've been doing uh, um, some freelancing. Mostly, It's mostly been brand design. I haven't done a lot of product design, but you know, most of my career has been product design, software design. But gosh, the last eight months I've been doing logos for a bunch of people. And, and um, one tip that I got from Mackie Saturday, who's a really phenomenal, he, he designed the Instagram logo, the Oculus logo. He works out of Manhattan. He's phenomenal. And I had a situation where I couldn't get the client to understand the, the mark I made. I'm like, dude, what do you do, man? How do you do this? And so his tip was this. Figure out the most important metric that that business cares about. You know, And may, maybe it's revenue. Maybe it's um, getting, I don't know, new users. I mean, whatever it might be. You got to figure what that is for them and then figure out how this brand is going to do that. And if the brand doesn't do it, by the way, then you shouldn't be rebranding at all. So for example, if you're working for a bank and you're rebranding a bank, maybe, maybe that, maybe that bank doesn't necessarily, maybe the bank says, Hey, we want to get more customers, but maybe that's not true. Maybe what they really need is more college students to sign up for checking accounts. And you got to really dive into what that specific goal is. Now you can do something. Now you can create a brand that resonates with, with college age 
you know, folks uh, that also is trustworthy, that's also going to get them to turn their money over and, you know, start a checking account. And so that, so Mackie's just like, look, always bring it back to what their business, business goals are. Um, to find out what a business goal is, you really have to dig a little bit and you have to get to the folks in the organization who can give you those answers. Um, and sometimes the answers don't make sense. You know, I, I did a project recently for a founder who just loves the color blue. Um, he believes the color blue is trustworthy. He also believes in serif fonts. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to sans serif font. He didn't want any other color besides blue. And it's, it's important to him. And that's okay. So guess what? We don't explore other colors. You know, and that's fine. That's his prerogative. He's taking the risk and building a company and he gets to kind of make those calls, whether they're rational or irrational. Um, in his mind, he's done, he's read something or, you know, and he's, he's built tons of companies. Like he's very, very successful. This is for a venture capital company that he's starting. <clears throat> so who am I to say he's wrong? You know, designers are guessing half the time anyway, <laughs> or, we're going by our own emotional gut also in the, in the sum total of our own experiences. And I don't have any data that says otherwise. I don't have any data. That, yeah. Maybe blue is maybe every logo in the world should actually be blue. You know, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that's the most trustworthy color of all time. And we're all wrong. You know, Netflix is wrong. It should be blue. <laughs> like Facebook. I don't know. Hey, but um, going back to that metric, how did you find it? Okay, you said that you went back and talked to people in the company, but you also said that sometimes what appears to be the main metric is not. Correct. So how do you dig deeper and how do you know that you found the right metric? <clears throat> the, 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 I think when you can actually create a story around it, like for example, when I was working at YouTube, our main metric was what we called watch time. It's how, how long people were dwelling on a video. It wasn't enough just to click, and, click on a video and make it play. It was the duration of the length of it. You know, we wanted people to spend more time, you know, with that, with the experience. And there, that's a nuance there because if, if you're optimizing for clicks, well then gosh, surface a bunch of really short videos, like 10 seconds. So we can get a lot of clicks and a lot of, but that's not what we wanted. We want people to enjoy watch time. Well, the only way you're going to get an increase in watch time is if you have really good video content. And the, the reason I'm just sharing all this is just to say that, the the words really matter with what people say. And you have to be really heads up with the ears when you're having a conversation with someone uh, and you're asking the question, you say something like, tell me a bit about your business. What matters most to your business? What's the one metric that you're looking at every single day? What, what do you care about more than anything that if it were to change tomorrow would make your business a wild success? You know, and, and people will say, they know, they're like, well, gosh, if we just, if we just had 10 more partners uh, sign up for our service, we'd, we'd kill it. Okay. How do you sign up a, a partner today? Well, it's a six month sales cycle because we're SaaS and we're business, we're, we're a B2B software platform and it's really hard. Okay. What part of your website deals with this? Well, we have these random funnel pages out there that my SEO guy keeps making Okay, which ones are most effective? You know what I mean? And you just keep asking, asking, asking until you find something that you can actually design that will have, that will change, somehow will change that metric. You know, maybe he comes out and just says it and he says, look, let me show you some data. People go to our front page of our website and they leave within one second. 
<laughs> and they don't click this big button that says sign up now or they don't, you know, sometimes it can be that simple. It's never really that simple nowadays. I mean, most people, there's enough temp- templates out, out there and there's enough good design that you can buy for free from Squarespace or WordPress that has pretty good UX in it. And so I think things get a bit more nuanced now, right? On how to solve people's problems. Um, So once you get to that metric, whatever it is, right? So how do you then tell the story around it? Or maybe like you can tell your last example, like um, how did you convince and the business owner that this design is the right one it's going to drive this metric i mean we can go very detailed like do you put it in the end of the slides what do you put on the slides like what do you say this this whole shebang my style my style is very different i don't like presenting in front of a big room Mm -hmm. with 10 or 12 people i like to i like to target people one-on-one over coffee with my laptop or with my phone or whatever and share with them my hypothesis and convince them somehow to give it a try. And I, cause I don't know. I mean, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if the design that I'll put together is actually going to work, but I need, I typically will need engineering's buy-in. I'll need a product manager's buy-in. I'll need a CEO's buy-in. I'll need someone's buy-in so we can actually move forward and build it and, and get it out there. Um, design sprints have become a popular way to validate ideas. I think, I think that works really well when you have a small subset of uh, you have a small constraint. For example, people are abandoning our checkout all the time. Why? Well, gosh, I think then it's pretty easy to build a little prototype in keynote or an envision a little clickable prototype, bring a couple of people in for a day, have them tap on stuff. And you're going to find the problems pretty quickly. You know, you're going to find the buttons not clear enough or the, the, the way you've written your copy doesn't work. But typically on the bigger, harder issues or business, literally, most businesses are only trying to do two things. They're either trying to get more users or they're trying to make more revenue. Um, a lot of venture-backed companies are like revenue tends to be a secondary goal to gaining users, right? So if you were to launch a social network today, your number one goal would be to get as many users as possible. Worry about making money later, <laughs> But right now, you need to get as many users as possible because the social network, you need network effect to, to properly have a good social network. And so your goal should be, how do we get people to sign up and tell their friends and share? <clears throat> and so then you have to start thinking about that. What is it? What can you do in the product to enable this? Um, and that, that come, you know, that just gets the wheels spinning. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're going to have to come up with something original. Or, or tried and true, but even tried and true doesn't work as much anymore. And there's, there's some interesting apps out there now. There's a game called HQ that's amazing. I don't know if you've played it or heard of it. Like it. It's a live, it's a game show on your phone. It's, you get a push notification. It says HQ is starting in five minutes. You turn it on. It's a live video broadcast. And, over a million people play the game at the same time. And it asks 12 questions. And when you get to the end, you're like, host. But what they've done is they have these wonderful little viral loops in here where if you, you know, if you miss a question, you're out. But if you share the app with four friends, you get an extra life. (laughs) And they have, yeah, right? So they have all these wonderful, so some designer thought of that or some growth hacker, someone, someone figured that out. 
But the reason they figured that out is because someone in business said, we need more users on this. How do we get more users? Right? So then someone said, okay, let's do a little invite your friend thing and like give them, give them a reward. Let's use some, let's, you know, let's use some gaming mechanics here. Um, I think that designers do a very poor job of asking questions. I think that one of the best things we can learn is just to ask why. Well, why? Why do you want to gain more users? Why will more users be better for this app? What kind of users do you want to get? Does it matter? Or do you just want numbers? You know what I mean? And and to do it in a way to not annoy people, because right, because like it can get annoying, because mm-hmm. people get impatient. They don't want to sit there and like explain everything to you. And also, they may not know. Designers uncover a lot of people's insecurities. Like designers do a really good job of exposing the problems of a business, and people get kind of fired up about that. They don't want to sit there and have to be accountable for the problems in the business. They just want to like, no, 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 just make the site look pretty and don't worry about it. <laughs> but if you've, but if you've uncovered that, like, you know, every, every time someone hits the live chat button, no one responds because half of the customer support staff is like out to launch all the time and not doing their job. I don't, I don't know. People don't mm-hmm. want to hear that all the time. So I think this is the great power of designers that, asking these questions, like you said, right? So even if you don't have the answer and being the the guy who can be a little bit naive because you just don't know so much about business is actually your power, right? Because you can uncover all of these things that uh, the business also is just assuming that they know, right? And by discovering well, these questions, uh, go on. Well, I was just going to add, add to that. Designers have to really learn how to read emotional cues, how to read body language. Cause you get someone in a room and you start asking them a lot of questions. It gets uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out the pacing, right? You got to figure out how to ask things in the right way so that people feel comfortable sharing. They feel comfortable kind of like admitting when there's problems because the reality is most people who go to work, they go there to make some money to pay for their family, their life, whatever. Work for many people isn't like the top priority for them. They go there, they do their thing, and they come home and whatever. And a lot of people are okay with the problems that exist in their work and in their company because it gives them a job. It gives them something to do. And as designers, you know, we do have that superpower to kind of like weed in and be like, well, that's kind of jacked up. We should fix that. But if you fix that, you may like eliminate someone's job or you may make something more efficient. Sometimes people don't want to know that. And so it's interesting to think about, you know, I helped a, um, a large telephone company. And it was interesting to hear about all the internal dynamics, the internal politics. And it's important to understand those politics. It's, and it's important, you know, you don't, have, you don't have to like honor them all the time, but you do need to understand them. And so when it comes to like a business-minded designer, I've had a lot of I've heard, I've had a lot of heard a lot of designers try to argue on behalf of the user at the detriment to the business making money, where they'll say, "Well, yeah, you're just being corporate greedy people. The user is getting hurt over here," and not really having empathy for the business side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, there 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 is a CEO, there are leaders in this company. Most most of these folks are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to keep everybody employed. They're trying to keep their investors happy. And it's hard. I've done it. I've been a CEO. I've been a founder. 
And it is very, very difficult. And I've had arguments with my designers who are like, well, this is the best thing for the user. I'm like, yeah, I get that. If we do that, it'll be super expensive for us. And, it, and like, it's not good. Like, I don't want to do that, even if it's better for the user, because it's, it's, um, it's going to cost me more money. For example, something, customer service is always a big one. You know, so someone says, let's add Intercom to our website. You know, inter, you know Intercom, yeah? Yeah. A little chat app. Yeah. Um, or let's add some kind of chat so that when people come to our site, okay, cool. Guess what? That means I got to hire somebody mm-hmm. to like man that all the time. I don't want to man it. Or, or a designer's like, hey, you know, you really need to put your phone number and your email on your website. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe I don't want to deal with people. You know, I want my privacy and my time with my family. Um, and, and sometimes designers can have these like really religious battles because they went to some conference somewhere and someone said, you have to have your phone number on every page of your website. It's way better for business. And yeah, sure it is. But if you're like a mom and pop, I don't know, maybe you don't want that. Maybe privacy is your thing, you know? So there has to be this kind of give and take around the solutions that you're offering. They have to somehow, you know, mesh with the business and where the business is at. You know, it's not as simple sometimes as just like, oh, we'll design it like this. Yeah, dude, of course, if you're like Facebook or Google and you have a thousand customer support people or you have the infrastructure to support these design changes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you find the right balance? Like, for example, in the last episode, I talked with Joel from uh, GitHub, and he said that a lot of designers, after they learn a little bit about business, uh, some of them have a tendency to go overboard, right? Today, start making some decisions that are good for business, but actually bad for user. And it sounds like you've been on the boats. I mean, you've seen the boat size, right? You understand the business, you understand the design. How do you find the right balance here? Uh, I, I mean, I look, Facebook just came out with Messenger for six-year-olds. I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think that's a, I think that's a business-oriented decision to sell more advertising to the youth market. I'm sure some Facebook designers are going to listen to this and like rob me, you know, get after me on Twitter. I don't, I just don't understand why, except that it's only for business. I don't know. I don't know why the hell you need to make a chat app for a six or seven year old. They shouldn't even be on a stupid phone. They should be being a kid and enjoying their life. And so there's a designer on that project. I don't know who they are, who he or she is, but, but I have to wonder like what they're thinking about why they're okay with that decision. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of software like that. There's a lot of products like this where business does push too far. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, going back to the YouTube example, if, if, if the goal is watch time, okay, what you're basically saying is, is get people addicted to YouTube. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Uh, it's good. Sure. If, Maybe they're getting educated, they're learning, or maybe they're being uh, exposed to different ideas. I mean, but then you're in the slippery slope of, of putting your morality onto the world and like how things should be. And, um, and, I, and I will say, I do think designers need to have a moral position. They do need to have a belief of what they think is right and what they think is wrong or nothing is right or wrong. You know, that's a belief also. They need to come at their design problems with a set of values and a set of opinions 
or otherwise they're just going to be like running around. The cool thing is like, let's say, for example, I think, let's say here's, let's, I don't think this, but let's say I did. Everyone under 12 should never have a cell phone. Let's say that was my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my boss comes out and he says, hey, we need to make an app for 10-year-olds to help them learn about finance. Young kids don't have cash these days. They have debit cards. And, you know, I just don't want people to be in credit card debt like I was. So my goal is let's educate young people about finances. That seems pretty reasonable. Like, okay, cool. That seems pretty reasonable. But I have this, like, moral dilemma now because I don't think young kids should have cell phones. And so what do I do? Do I not take the job? Do I not do it? Do I, you know, and things get really complicated really fast. Let's say I'm married and I have a baby. I don't really care what I'm doing. You know, I'll do a porn site for crying out loud if it's going to pay for my family. And next thing you know, right, then your principles kind of go out the window, which, you know, hopefully they don't, you know, hopefully you stick to your guns and something better happens. But I think that your original question is how do you find the balance? And you find the balance by by having a point of view and having a value system and a belief system that you can apply to your designs and have an opinion. Designers, mm-hmm. designers have a lot of, you know, insights and like they're, they're very free. I'm like, Oh, that looks, that looks cool or whatever. I don't, fi- I want, I wish I heard more like educated opinion about why a business should be, you know, why a business goal should be, you know, played out in a certain way. For like I don't, you know, I don't have the right words, but mm-hmm. <laughs> do you got maybe some examples from your last startup, Design Inc., like some examples of how you made these decisions? You so you gave this example of the chat function on the website. Any other decisions that come to mind and how you guys discussed it? Well, Design Inc. was interesting because we had a community of two thousand five hundred designers who were telling us all the time what they thought was right and what they thought was wrong. And yeah, and, having designers for customers is pretty interesting, right? Yeah, and you know what? They're just like regular customers. They're wrong many times. Okay, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. They they just don't have all the facts when they're trying to advocate for things. So, so for example, for those who don't know, I had a startup called Design Inc. It matched companies with designers. Any company could post a job, and then we had this hand curated group of people about twenty five hundred who were uh, of these great designers, the company would request to come in and then the designers could then bid on these projects. And we had all sorts of projects come in. We had some projects that were 500 bucks and we had projects that came in that were like $60,000, $80,000. And as a freelancer, you get an $80,000 project. That's awesome. Like, it's really cool. Uh, but guess what? If you get a project for 500 bucks, that's cool too. It's 500 bucks. And we had this debate inside the inside our community where many designers said, we don't want low dollar amount jobs. We think they're bad. We think, and, and, and you know what they're really saying, Alan, is what they're really saying was, I am a fancy designer. I don't do cheap work. And of course not. Mm-hmm. I know you don't do cheap work, but... but but then when, when you really pull apart these jobs that would come in, we, we had a job come in once for like a couple hundred bucks. And, and it's literally said, take my logo, put it on a transparent background. And this is what spawned, this is what spawned the conversation. And dude, how fast would it take you to take a logo, put it into Photoshop, use the wand tool and pull the background out? 
like two seconds, not even, right? Mm -hmm. This is probably the best paying job on the platform. By, yes, you got it. So, okay, so $200, <laughs> let's say it was $200 an hour and it takes you like two seconds. I mean, do the math on that. You're making thousands of dollars an hour, really, technically. But it turns out, so the designer picked this job up and it turns out it was, it was, it was posted by one of the most powerful venture capital companies in the Valley. This designer made that introduction, did the thing real quick and ended up making, I don't know, maybe over a hundred grand over seven months on work just Whoa. from this VC, just because they didn't just like take something at face value. So if we would listen to our community and like put a block on when, when people submitted projects and said only projects 2000 and above, you lose that opportunity for these little small micro things to happen. And that's the thing about platforms. And that's the thing about software is when you build software, you have to allow yourself to be surprised. Right. And this, and people don't do this when they, when, when people build software, they work so hard at getting the user story, right? They work so hard at user research And then they build the exact thing to answer that question. Okay, but sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes it's okay to create a platform, set a few rules, and then see what the world does with it. Let the world be creative with what you make. Give them the opportunity to use whatever thing that you're making in a way that, that suits them. And that's how we have things like Craigslist and eBay and even Twitter. At one point, someone said, I want to use a hashtag to organize stuff. At one point, people would, you know, list people's at names and say, follow Friday. And, you know, and all these things kind of happened over time because they left the platform very open. They didn't try to be so prescriptive on how a user should behave. Who are we? How arrogant are we that we're going to force users to behave in exactly the way we want them to, you know? And that's a rule that some of the greatest pieces of software have followed. Like YouTube was very open. It was like, yeah, just go for it. There weren't that many controls in place. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think the best software does that. I don't think Facebook was very, Facebook was kind of wild west for a long time. You can post whatever you wanted. Obviously they have much harder things to deal with now. With 2 billion users, they have a responsibility to the world on what, you know, when you're dealing with, fake news and propaganda and all sorts of things that can really send people out of control. And they're working on this and it's very hard. You know, I, I it's funny. I talked to a friend today who's an engineer on newsfeed. He, and he told me he's working five times harder than he ever has in his life. And he worked at YouTube. He left and did startups and he already was a hard worker. So for him to say he's working five times harder now on issues with newsfeed at Facebook tells you how serious <clears throat> You know they they're they 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 are kind of taking this this platform that they have, and they do need to make it more closed. They do need to rein it in. They need they do need to put more rules in place because you know people have abused the newsfeed, and they know you know they know that they'll figure it out. And so mm -hmm. you know ultimately, sorry I keep saying you know I hate when people say you know apologies podcasters. <laughs> I'm trying not to say it the rest of the thing. If I do, I'll send you a Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> so you know ah oh, shoot there it is there's a you know <laughs> Dang it. There's, coin. there's a there's a critical part of uh design that only can be that only comes after a lot of experience 
And that's just being able to pull from mistakes that you've made in the past. And Mm -hmm. uh, that just takes time. There's no substitute for it. What were some of the biggest mistakes you made? Uh, got in from a design perspective or in life? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do design for now. Oh gosh, I I had a design that put the that took the YouTube player controls off. So when you hit play, I made the controller, mm-hmm. I made the the play the play button and all that stuff fade away. That that's and because Vimeo did it. Vimeo did this. A lot of a lot of video players did this. When you hit play, just let the video show me the video. I don't want to see the controls. And uh, it it had a dramatic. I mean, we lost millions. <laughs> like it was terrible. It was a really bad experiment. It didn't work. People complained. Hi, I don't know how to maximize the video. I don't know how to pause the video. How do I scrub through a video? People freaked out. And uh, that was a mistake. <laughs> Just because I thought it would look cooler and I was wrong. Uh, so for this specific mistake, how did you, after the fact, uh, communicate with the theme? Like, did you have to defend yourself or did you just iterate back to the old version? What was the, the whole... We, we, we iterated aftermath? back within a day to the old version because it was that severe. It was that bad. We shipped it. Okay. Within hours, we saw badness in our stats and we revert. We just pulled it and went back to the old player. And what did that say? Sorry. It just said like people were, let's say people were viewing like a million videos a day. It would drop down to, and the numbers are much bigger, but just for sake of argument, it went from like a million to like 200,000. No, that's not true. Like a million down to like 600,000. Like it was huge. It was a huge, huge problem. And we caught it really fast and thank goodness, but still it was bad. And I don't know. I admit that stuff all the time. I say, yeah, that was me. I screwed that up. That's my fault. <laughs> and if people want to fire me, cool. Like, I, I really don't care. I, okay. You know, oh, another Dogecoin. There's a you know. <laughs> I, I, I have no problem I've never admitting when I'm wrong because I'm wrong all the time. And, you ha- and if you're in an organization where you can't admit that you're wrong, or you're afraid you're going to get fired, or you're afraid that you're not going to get promoted or whatever, then you need to have a, like a heart-to-heart with everyone involved. And you need to like give everyone a, a hall pass and say, look, everyone can be wrong. It's okay. In fact, if you're not wrong, then you're not pushing your software. You're not pushing your design forward. You're playing it safe. You're not trying crazy stuff. Because the crazy stuff is going to eventually unlock the revenue, the, the number of people that you want to add on, and you have to have a safe culture to do that. Um, it's important. Uh, we talked about your mistakes and lessons, right? So uh, on Medium, I learned one of the lessons uh, you had with your Design Inc. startup. So could you talk a little bit about um, the iterations you went through to find the product market fit? I found that really interesting. Yeah, we initially started Design Inc. because I, my email would explode with people saying, I need to find a designer. What do I do? And the first version of Design Inc. was very simple. I took like 400 of my good design friends and I literally had them load their portfolios up and then we built in uh, a checkout page basically. So you could go to Alan's page, see your portfolio, and there was a big old button that said, Hire Alan. 
mm-hmm. and you would say, I'm $2,000 a day or I'm a hundred bucks a day or whatever your rate was. And it was, it was the simplest thing. And I thought for sure that this was, I thought we, I thought this was going to kill it because people would ask me all the time, Hey, how do I get to Daniel Burka? How do I get to Katie Dill? How do I get to Dan Petty? Can you introduce me? Da, 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 da. And so I'm like, yeah, I can introduce you. Even better, I'll create some software so you can just hire them automatically. How about that? Just go find them and just hit the button yeah. and hire them. And I learned a, a harsh truth. And I don't know if I put this in the, in the blog post or not. The harsh truth is when people hire designers, they, could give, they do not care how famous you are, how many, if you work at YouTube or not, they do not care. All they care about is that you're going to get the job done with the budget that they have in mind and that you're okay to work with and you're not a psychopath and that the work is kind of good. <laughs> no client I've ever met really cares that much that the design is over the top amazing. No client I've ever met cares how many dribble likes you have or how famous you are in the design community. No client I've met cares if you have a podcast or not. None of them care if you have like your own stickers with your own cool personal logo on it. They don't care. They have $10,000. They need to get a website and an app built and they need to get it done by a certain date. And if you can do that, then you're their hero. You're the person that they need. And we, we as a design community are so hard on each other. We're so hard on like the style that he, that we do things with. And we, we, we forget to talk about the practical side of designing. The reality is we all need to make a living with this craft to make a living. You have to do jobs and work with clients that sometimes there are compromises to. And if you're doing some design work that frankly is just okay, but it meets the needs of your client, and they pay you and they're happy, then you are the greatest designer in the world. You're the number one. Even if they say, I want it in blue, I want to use Comic Sans, and I want uh, you know every link blinking. <laughs> if you deliver that and that's what they want and they pay you and they're happy, that's okay. You're not a bad designer for doing that. You're not a bad person for doing that. Okay, on one side, doing what the client wants then brings you more work, right? But the, on the other hand, finding what they really want to achieve is a good thing. So how do you balance the two? If they just want someone to get the thing done, but you know that you are much more than that, right? So how do you then, how do you balance the two? You bring up a really interesting point. I want designers, if anyone, whoever's listening to this, I want you to, Get your journal out. I want you to write down the things that you really want to accomplish in your life and what you really, really care about. Okay? And for some of you, you're, you're not going to be honest with yourself. You need to be. So let's go through an honest exercise together. There are some of you that don't care about how much money you're getting paid. You just want to be well-known. You want your work to be seen. You want to set design trends and you want folks to know your name for the, for how, for how good you are, the quality of your work. And for those, for those of you who feel this way, I would encourage you to, to do as many, you're going to have to dive into personal projects. You're going to have to think about ways that you can get noticed uh, for the sake of the work itself. 
Then there's a whole other subset of folks who are like, I don't care if people know me or not. I got to feed my family. I need to feed myself. I need to, you know, create uh, a living for myself because my parents think I'm crazy for being a designer. I'm fresh out of school. How do I even get my first job? For those folks, yeah, you get to go do work for clients and do what they say and not, you know, put up too much of a fuss so you can build up your portfolio, build up your experience and get paid and move on and do and and fill this gap that you have. There's a gap in people's experience. The only way to fill it is through doing a ton of work. And maybe 10 years from now, when you filled your gap up with hundreds of projects, not two, hundreds, then maybe you can hit that goal of, of having notoriety and fame and having people know your name. And I, it's you have to just be really honest with what you care about. And if you if you care about, I don't know, some folks may say, I care about the environment. I want to save the environment, do good things for the environment. I'm like, okay, then make a list of nonprofits that are doing stuff for the environment and go volunteer your time. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to, I don't know how you're going to feed yourself, but you're going to help protect the environment by maybe doing design work for some nonprofit somewhere. Um, if you want to be famous, well, there's a lot of things you can do. You need to be really active on Dribble. You need to be active on Twitter. You need to, you know, uh, Dogecoin, reach out <laughs> to other famous designers and strike up friendships, go to conferences, go do talks, get people knowing your name. Just because people know a designer's name doesn't mean they're good designers. I'm not a good designer. I've just done it a long time. I'm no better than any, anyone else that's out there, truly. I've just been doing it a long time. And, like you, and so I, I, get, I get really kind of fired up when uh, people don't look at our – like we are the modern carpenters and the modern plumbers of the internet. We're journeymen. We're craftsmen. We're, not, we're nothing special. It's important to understand that. Yeah. Have you done this exercise yourself? Yeah, of course. What was the, if I may ask, what was the, your answer and what was then the action plan after that? I, I have, it's, it's funny because I knew you were going to ask that. I just, I have my journal right <laughs> here. I just pulled it out and I asked, I wrote down this, I wrote down this question. I said, how do you want to be remembered? That's what I wrote down. That's how I cashed it for myself. And what I, what I wrote was kind of weird. I wrote, I want to be a great honorable father. I want to be honest but helpful. And, and what I mean by honest but helpful is people ask me for feedback all the time. They'll send me their app or whatever. I did it this morning. Someone sent me um, a tool that they're building. And I just prepped them. I'm like, I will give you my feedback, but I want to be honest with you. And I want to share things that I hope hope you can like do something with. And I and I just tell people I was like, please don't share it with me if you just want me to tell you you're a good person and you're a good designer. It's like mm-hmm. go go somewhere else for that. Don't come to me for that, please. Um, I want to be a good you know this is part of being a good father is I want to be a good provider, which means I need to make money to help finance college and finance braces and. You know, that's, that's important to me. It's important to me to, yeah. to, to do that. Um, 
I wrote here, give back to the community and help others uh, make money. So that's so that was my specific for the design community. Give back to the design community by helping other people make money. And I have mm-hmm. to say, we did that with Design Inc. There were thousands of designers who made thousands and thousands of dollars. There was 900 companies who used Design Inc. to find designers, and I'm sure they're still working with the designers they found to this day. That makes me super happy. And if, one thing that makes me sad is when we closed Design Inc., I got hundreds of emails from designers like, super bummed that we closed the platform because they're unfortunately we cut off their livelihood. They were using design Inc as their source of freelance work. And that hurts a lot. Um, I put in here also, I want to be kind and loving. I don't think I'm the most kind person. I don't think I'm the most loving person. I let my ego get in the way a lot and I'm not that kind. Sometimes, sometimes I'm pretty blunt. Um, what else do I have on here? I would love to own a beautiful home again. I sold my home in California. We moved here to Hawaii. Um, and I would also, I would really, really love to be a great artist. And that's, to be a great artist takes a lot of time and many, many years. And I, you know, I almost said, you know, I almost gave you guys another Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> I want to figure out how to do that someday. Because I get bored of digital design. I like painting. It's so freaking hard. And I look at people who are so good and I'm just like, gosh, it makes me feel like a beginner again. I really love that. And the, the, the thing I put at the end of my whole list is just, I just want to be fit. I want to be strong. I don't want to be sick. I just want to be healthy and I want to live a long time. I don't want to die. I'm really afraid of dying. And I think that is a good way to kind of put your life in order is think That's about <laughs> Um, so that's my question. Yeah. Just to review, how do you want to be remembered? You want to be remembered as having the most popular shot on dribble. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things you mentioned was, um, helping designers make money, right? So this was kind of the mission of design Inc. Um, can you talk a little bit why it didn't work out? Why did you have to close it? We, we were only making, gosh, you know, 10 to 12 grand a month. And to carry that business on as a venture backed startup, we would, we would need to be up in the 100, $200,000 of revenue a month. We could get, we could have gotten there, but it would have taken a good two and a half years of really, really grinding. And we just didn't have that much money left. We had about a year of money left and we just didn't have enough runway. Um, and so I felt, I felt it was a good lifestyle business. I mean, gosh, maybe, Maybe I should just spin up a mini version of it or something. Um, but it took a lot of work to get companies on the platform. Like every day I was emailing people, friends. I'm like, hey, you should try Design Inc. Da, da, da. And it was a tremendous amount of work without a lot of revenue. And so revenue made it really easy to, to make the call and shut it down. And we ended up giving back about a million. We had about a million dollars left in the bank, a little under that. And... Uh, we gave it back to our investors and I, I think they're, I think they're stoked on that. I don't really know. <laughs> I'll find out if I ever try to raise money again, uh, how, how they really feel about it. But that was a hard decision. Uh, mo- some people on the team were frustrated by that decision. They wanted to kind of run that money down, but you know, Do- Dogecoin, 
when you get a lot of people, when you get a lot of people working in a company, your burn rate gets high, 60 mm-hmm. grand, 80 grand, like really fast a month by, by employing engineers and folks to build. It's just expensive. It's expensive to run a company. So it's hard to justify when you're, when you're, when you're kind of poking in the dark, as it were, it would have been our last, you know, where, where design Inc left off at where designers were paying for proposals was the best model. It worked awesome. Uh, it took us a year, almost 13 months to even launch that. We went through four other versions of our site until we got there. So in the beginning, it was kind of a commission fee pricing model, right? Which sounds pretty obvious, right? You would definitely start there. So how did you find, where did you get idea for this proposal? There's a company called Thumbtack that does this for plumbers and carpenters. And so (laughs) we we just stole the idea. Yeah, no problem. Crew sold the dribble. Crew Crew is out there. You know, it's one of these platforms that will get you a job and then take a commission the amount of work it takes to get a $50,000 job to earn like 10% commission on that, like five grand is a waste of time. It takes, it takes so much time to sell a project like that. It's crazy. So I might as well be an agency. I might as well open my, up my own IDEO or something and get all the benefit. A platform, a software platform for, for professionals to collaborate with, you know, you, you finding a client or whatever, <clears throat> it cannot capture the revenue because most of the interaction happens between you and the other person on the phone, right? On the phone or in person. So how is software going to interrupt that to take a commission, to take a commission fee? The commission fee is only going to build up resentment in the two parties. One, the client will feel bummed because they're going to like, why am I paying an extra 20% to design Inc.? Why should I just pay it to you? And so you're going to naturally get attrition to happen off platform. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Two, you're going to build a resentment in the designers for the same thing. They're like, holy crap. Why is that designing taking 20%? I worked my butt off on this project. There's no way to reconcile that. There's no way to get around that. And so what we came up with was project comes in. If a designer wants it, you got to pay 20 bucks to talk to them. If that's not worth it to you, go somewhere else. And we had those conversations with, with folks. Some designers were pissed. They're like, why do I got to pay 20 bucks to like send a proposal off this person? I'm like, all right, good luck. Go off on Twitter. Go find your own lead. <laughs> Try it. It's freaking hard. It's super hard. And here is a $20,000 project sitting in like right in front of your face. All you got to do is pay 20 bucks, which is the same amount of money you'd spend in gas and doing a coffee or even, even it's the same amount of time you would burn People are like, well, I don't, I do everything over Skype. And I'm like, okay, cool. Do it over Skype. You talk to someone for a half hour, that's 30 minutes you're not billing. So there's still opportunity costs there. And designers, you know, some designers wanted to pay, some designers didn't want to pay. And, and when you look at any other business in the world, whether it's lawyers or accountants, there's tons of lead gen platforms out there. Not to mention, you know how much like real estate folks and finance people pay for AdWords, they're paying crazy amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Crazy. They're paying like, you know, $20 a click. And that's not that for one click to come into your website. And they and they're and they're blowing ten, twenty thousand dollars a month just to get business. Mm-hmm. So designers are the only group of people I've met that don't want to pay money 
to get work. Like you're a freelancer. I doubt you have, I mean, do you have a monthly budget for marketing to generate new leads? I doubt it. You're probably like word of mouth. Yeah. And then maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> kind of, kind of, but I have a strategy, but anyway. Yeah. You have podcast, you have your podcast. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's different things you're doing, which are cool. Yeah. This this discussion reminds me of another article um, that you and your friend Joe wrote. Uh, uh, I think it's called Seventy-ish Life and Business Lessons." And there are a couple of things I wanted to ask you to comment <laughs> on. Um, by the way, do you know what the most you know, like on a medium, how you can see what the uh, most highlighted part of the article was? You know that? Oh, uh, do you want me to look? No, no, I, know. I know what it is, but do you know what it is? I can read it for you. No, I have no idea. Okay, so the, so the first and the most highlighted one was um, design is not art. Design has to solve a problem or communicate an idea. Art has no burden of solving a problem. Be sure you design your design is solving a problem and isn't just a beautiful art. Can yeah. you expand on this point a bit? Like what made you write this? Yeah. A couple of things. When I paint, I don't answer to anybody. I don't have a PM or an engineer telling me they can't build it. I don't have a user who's trying to accomplish a goal. I just express myself. And when you look at that painting, I don't care if you feel it or not. I just, it doesn't matter. Art has no burden. It doesn't need to do anything. It can just sit there and be. Design, on the other hand, has to do something or it's or it's good design versus bad design is simply defined as this good design solves a problem bad design does not period good design has nothing to do with the padding and the margins in the in the in the gradient and skeuomorphism versus flat that does not matter the only thing that matters with design is does it communicate does it solve does it help a person accomplish whatever the hell they're trying to get done. That is all design has to do. That's all it has to do. When we mistake design for art, we start to over-index and, and we start prioritizing what it looks like. Now, don't get me wrong. What something, the colors, the, the attention to detail, the alignment, the, the padding and the margins... When those things are correct, something magical happens. A person is able to use your design in a way that is uninterrupted. If you give someone some, some crazy colors where the contrast is really hard to distinguish and nothing is lined up and the button is not associated you know, next to the thing you want to take action on, it's like halfway across the screen, and you break all these kind of very simple UI tricks – well, you're not going to help. You're not going to be solving a problem because the user is not going to use your app. They're going to be like, this, this hurts my eyes. This is frustrating. Uh, I don't really understand what is the most important thing on this page for these are very simple ideas, <clears throat> but visual design and making something beautiful and, 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 and sexy for lack of a better term is only important in as much as it helps the user accomplish what they need to do and what they and how they need to finish. And a wonderful example of this is Amazon. Amazon.com is not the most beautiful website in the world. I don't think anyone would say otherwise. I think we can all agree that Amazon, but its UX is fantastic. I'm able to buy things with one click. Yeah. I'm able to find what I need somehow, some way. And it's great. 
and I get it helps me accomplish my goal. And they're now one of the most powerful, most successful companies in the world. You contrast that with Apple's website, where Apple takes you know just the finest of the, the the photography is just immaculate. The site is clean. It's super beautiful. And many of us have probably stolen UI ideas from from the Apple Store. But note, Apple has not changed their e-commerce experience for more than a decade. You have your menu at the top. You have your long product pages. You have your buy now button up in the top right. It's pretty much the same it's always been for the last 10 years. And they just keep doing you know, more beautiful photography. They start playing with some animation that is kind of special and cool. But for the, for the most part, it's kind of stayed the same because it's it works. It works. So why fix it? Why, why, why monkey with it? Mm-hmm. YouTube is another example of that. The video is on the left. The thumbnails are on the right. It works. Newsfeed from Facebook. It works. They tried the timeline with the kind of the, the dual newsfeed, if you remember, where they kind of had two, two timelines going back and forth and you'd zigzag down the timeline. That didn't work. Instagram is a feed. It works. They haven't changed it. They're not going to change it. 10 years from now, newsfeed is going to look like what it looks like. Instagram is going to look like what it looks like. So is Amazon. So is YouTube because they've solved that those UI patterns are solved problems. Snapchat invented stories. Facebook has now stolen that and Instagram has stolen that. Stories is a UI pattern that works. It's engaging. It keeps people going over and over again. And that's a fascinating piece of UI because there is no UI. It's Chromeless. It's just the content of the user. You can tap, sure, and see like an avatar of who did something, and there's some micro interactions you can do. But for the most part, it's it's one of the most mind mindless UIs there are, and that is by design, right? They don't make it complicated to switch to the next picture. In fact, if you don't do anything, it goes to the next picture. They're they're automating the UI for you, and we're now seeing this in Netflix and in YouTube, where. We're taking away choice from the user, right? Mm-hmm. We're actually now just saying, no, no, no. We know better. We're going to go to the next thing for you. Yeah. We, we knew you wanted to do that. And let me tell you, back in 2012, we tried some of this at YouTube and people lost. We had users that lost their mind. Like, don't autoplay the next video. How do you know I want to watch that? How dare you? It's a different time now. Yeah. It's a different time. And software is, is, software is being much more presumptuous about what we want. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to be very predictive. And we're going to see this with voice and different things. I know that kind of like totally goes off what you asked, but anyway, we went we we went there. We went on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's usually <laughs> the interesting stuff. So the second thing that you wrote in that article that I found very interesting was a point where you say success equals eighty percent sell, and then twenty percent design. Right? Talking and selling your design work is just as valuable and important as the actual design work. Can you talk about this point too? Sure. We hit, we hit on it earlier. Yeah. One, of, one, of the, one of the qualities of a good designer is, of course, storytelling and communication. And I think a lot of designers feel guilty when they're not with a mouse in their hand or, or, a, you know, or a Wacom tablet. It's okay to spend a lot of time meeting with people face-to-face and talking and sharing your designs and talking through them slowly and going through like why you made your decisions and like, and then bringing up, you know, here's a user. I I, I just think the storytelling art is lost or it's even not even taught in schools. 
And uh, we, we assume that, hey, I've designed something cool. You should just get it. You should just understand it. But guess what? People are busy, man. They got it. They're getting, they're trying to get their jobs done. So if you like are trying to get a salesperson or a marketing person or a CEO to buy into your designs, you need to get their attention and sit down and spend time with him or her and help them understand what you know. And don't assume they know anything. They know nothing about design or anything. That's why they hired you. That's why you're working with them. So walk them through how you think about things, what your perspective is. Help them have empathy for you. And realize that they're kind of like lazy and they don't really want to spend that much time sitting here and reviewing mocks and like, you know, listening to you. But if you do that, you'll find over time that you'll have to do less storytelling, less storytelling over time because people start to trust you and start to believe in you. The next thing you know, you have this wonder, you get to this wonderful place where you're working in an organization with a group of people. And maybe you've had this with some of your long-term clients where they ask you to do something, you do the design and there isn't even like much argument. It just kind of like flows. And that's some of the greatest working relationships because it's all based on trust. Um, and so that trust is something that has to be built up through just qual- quantity time. Not just quality time, but just like quantity time. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's important to document things. I do like making slide decks. So I have my design files and sketch. Then I'll always make a deck usually to go along with it. I'll make the decks like really long. And I'll put just one or two points per slide. And I'll say something like, I heard you say this. Here's how I answered that. I heard a user say this. Here's how we answered nice. that. I heard you say that. I heard business say this and user say this. So here's a, here's a solution that both of you can hopefully agree on uh, that hopefully serves both needs. Um, another thing that works very, very well is I often will do a video. I use a tool called, uh, I think it's called Loon or Loom. I'll have to link it to you later. Mm-hmm. But it just puts a little circle of my face. And I, and I open up my sketch file and it does a screencast and I move my little face around and I zoom into different stuff and I talk about it and I say why this and why that. And people really love that. That tends to be one of the, one of the most effective ways of communicating um, a story. But tonight I'm doing branding work for the new company that I'm working with. I texted the founder. I'm like, Hey, I'd love to, I'd love to share something with you. And he's like, Hey, I'm up. It's 10. Let's talk. We just got on the phone. I just did a screen share and I just really talked about things. And once he was convinced, then I talked to another friend, one of the, the lead front end engineers. He's like, you should tell John. I think he's up too. Let's, let's, let's just talk to him right mm-hmm. now. And that's it, man. It's just human to human connection. There doesn't have to be this big, this big, you know, to do about things. <laughs> and you don't have to even, and by the way, you don't have to waste a lot of time, like putting things in Zeppelin and like, making these crazy animated prototypes, you don't need to waste your time doing that. You can, a lot of the times you just need to get on the phone with someone and talk to them and do a screen share and like go through something with them. And you'll find that even the most objectionable people, the most grittiest and ugliest people in the world, when they're one-on-one, there's a softness mm-hmm. there that can be brought out. And even the most in even the biggest of naysayers. And there's, there's such a power in human, human to connection. And in fact, the phone and the way that we're connected is, is really eroding the ability to talk to each other in a really real way with candor being with frankness. 
And if designers can just get out of their shell and not hide behind texting and not hide behind Slack, but actually pick up the phone or do a video conference or go up to someone face-to-face, gosh, you're going to find so much success. So much success. And the only way to get good at that is by doing it, by overcoming that. And you can be an introvert and do it. You can be an extrovert and do it. Um, you know, there's different styles there, of course. But we, 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 we have to really not forget that without story, it's just pictures. And if, if it's just pictures, it's never going to get built. Mm-hmm. You know? In fact, you don't even have to be a great designer. If you can tell a great story and like sketch some stuff on a notebook and that's enough to convince an organization to build something, mm-hmm. dude, you just designed like with a pen in two seconds. Like who cares about Sketch and Photoshop and everything else? You just killed it. You just you just designed. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really great stuff. But Mark, I want to be mindful of your time too. I just have a couple of uh, final questions that I usually okay. give to uh, guests. So the first one is, <laughs> what advice would you give to a young designer who's just starting out? I, I, I tell everyone kind of the same thing. And, and that's frankly, just be impeccable with your word. Never break it. Never break your word. If you tell somebody you do something Tuesday night and, you, and you're not like, you're only halfway done and it's Monday afternoon, get some caffeine in you and you don't get to go to sleep. Never break your word. You can change your word, right? You can, you can call someone up and be like, hey, something's not going to work out Friday. I need to move to Tuesday or Wednesday. But you, you break your word once, you're screwed. So just never break it, ever. Do everything in your power to guard it. Mm-hmm. It's a great principle. Yeah. I mean, it's like a life principle, I guess. Yeah. From a, I will say specifically about design, something a little more practical. Because, I mean, people are like, okay, yeah, my dad told me don't break my word. <clears throat> um, is to is – to, <laughs> I'm going to get a little crap for this. Uh, it's okay to kind of like white lie a little bit about how good you are because you're not that good. But you need to get work. And sometimes someone's going to ask you to do something that you're maybe not comfortable doing. Like they may say, hey, I need a mobile app. Well, I don't know. Maybe you've never done design a mobile app. And they're going to ask you, they're, they're going to say, have you ever designed a mobile app before? You need to say yes. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because just because you haven't designed it in Sketch or actually physically designed anything, I promise you that your subconscious has thought about it. And if your subconscious has thought about designing an app, you know what? For me, that's good enough. Because that, that remember, is the point of a designer. A designer solves problems. We just happen to have some software to help us. We're lucky. Photoshop and Sketch give us a way to show what's inside of our head. But let's say those things didn't exist. And someone said, hey, uh, you know, Alan, I need you to design a mobile app for mm-hmm. me. And you didn't even have a computer. You just had like your finger and a whiteboard or a marker and a whiteboard. You're going to have to draw it out. You're, gonna have to, you're just going to have to think and figure it out. And then you're going to have to figure out how to get the pictures on the whiteboard over to whoever mm-hmm. uh, built. And so I believe that most people have designed, most designers have, have designed most things in their mind at one point or another. And it's okay to say, yes, you have. And then just get in those scary situations and then figure it out, you know? 
has it ever happened to you that you've actually done this and then the client asked you for um, some sketches or for <laughs> some case studies? <laughs> yeah, and I say, yeah, like like VR. So when VR came around, um, someone asked me, like, hey, will you design a VR app? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, have you, have, you, have you done VR before? I'm like, yeah, of course. Everyone, did. yeah, right on. And uh, like, well, can you show me examples of it? I'm like, no. Well, let's just dive in. Let's just dive into your thing and let's see how it goes for a week. If you're stoked on it, let's keep working together. If you're not, fire me. So you just said like, no, okay. and that's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just said no. Or you say it's confidential, right? And that's it. No, I don't even say it's confidential because then they're like, well, who's it with? And da da da. I'm like, okay. no. <laughs> cool. Okay. And the uh, final question is. This usually takes some time, so I'll give you some time. So what is one thing about design that you have changed your mind about in the last couple of years, three years, whatever? Oh, um, <clears throat> what is one thing that I used to believe about design, yes. but now I don't, for example? Or you change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I used to, I used to really believe that the visual quality of a design was very, very important. And... I used to believe brand design was harder than product design. And I used to put a lot more value on what something looked like than how it functioned. And I don't believe that anymore. I think that Craigslist and Amazon and these crappy looking websites are good design. And I believe they are also, uh, you know, examples of, software that is helping people's lives and helping, you know, if you need to find a place to rent, that's really stressful. That's like a crappy situation. When you're looking for home after home after home, Craigslist gets the job done and it helps bring relief to people's lives. It is the ugliest website like in the universe. And so when people say, people seem to hear, when I say good design, they seem to think I'm saying beautiful design. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying it's beautiful design. I'm saying it's good design. Those are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful design can be bad design. Good design can be beautiful and ugly, right? So Craigslist is good design that is ugly. There's no problem with it being ugly. There's no problem with ugly design. If ugly design works, mm -hmm. it helps people, then it is good. Beautiful design. The only people who care about beautiful design are designers. In fact, I would argue most non-designers cannot tell the difference between beautiful and ugly design. We think that they can, but they don't. They don't see it. They don't see the world that we do. And we have to be a lot more sensitive with each other's designers on critiquing visual aspects. We should be going to dribble and we should be asking the question, or if someone shares design with us, is this solving the problem? We should actually ask the question, what problem are you trying to solve? Like, what's the, what's the goal here? What's, what's the story? And then we should be able to look at this, this work and say whether it accomplishes that or not. And if it does, it is good design. You can offer an opinion later whether you think it's ugly or beautiful, but that doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter, in my opinion. And that's been a huge thing that I've changed. I used to be such a snob. I, like, if things were not beautiful and good, then I thought you were crap. I thought you were not smart. My, and 
my, you know, working at Google, there were a ton of UX designers. They're like the worst visual designers you've ever seen. They couldn't design, they couldn't draw a stick figure on a paper bag, but man, are they smart and man, are they good at like thinking about user flows and how software should interact with an individual and they're incredible at it. Um, and it's okay. There's visual designers that they can lean on to create a design system for them or visual elements. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think that I've changed my mind on a bit is I used to think a designer needed to do everything that you needed to be good at UX, good at visuals, good at animation, good at motion, good, I guess the same thing as animation, good, good at um, painting, good at drawing. I don't believe that anymore. There's such a rich landscape of what kind of designer you want to be. In fact, if you want to just make do motion and just do motion design, I have, I, I have a friend who's a motion designer. He's terrible at drawing. He's terrible. He doesn't do it well at all. But if you give him artwork, he will make the most rad animation you've ever seen. And it's really interesting that his brain just, that's just how he's kind of wired. Um, I have a, I, this other girl I know, she just does illustration. She has, and she could do logos and she could do brand, but she hates it, which is such, so weird to me. She's so good at drawing. I'm like, why don't you make logos for people? And she's just like, dude, I hate it. I can't do it. Like it drives me crazy. I love to do logos, but I suck at illustration and it's, and I, and it's okay. So if you're like, if you're a designer listening to this and like, you're finding a lot of work in a certain vein of, of the design world, that's okay. Go with it. Like just go with it and do a lot more of it and, and become really good at that thing. Maybe you're really good at designing and drawing hot dogs and you're like the best hot dog icon maker ever. Mm-hmm. Don't feel bad because you don't code or because you don't understand how to make a mobile app or because you don't know how to do a logo. You're making, you're making hot dog icons, man. That's cool. <laughs> That's okay. There's no, there's no, don't compare yourself to other people. There's no, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about uh, high-resolution podcast, and you see these designers out there kind of going, throwing conferences or doing podcasts or these other kind of things. You, you're not them. You don't have to do those things to be a good designer, to be a good person. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Who cares? There's no one. There's no one. I've never like sat with a room full of designers and have and, – and never once have I ever heard someone say, you know – that Alan, he's really cool. He's a good designer, but gosh, if he just coded more, he'd be like, he'd be like a triple threat. Like no one says that. No one cares about what you are or are not doing. Only you care about that. That's a great point. I think we make stories in our heads, right? That only if we had X, we would be better or successful or whatever the the thing is we have in mind, like I was just reading this book from Tim Ferriss, like tribe of mentors with uh-huh. immensely successful people. And what you see in there, like the main message I got out of it was that there is no one single path, right? It's like really so random that you just, yeah. if you try to follow a formula, you're probably going to fail more likely than if you just try to be yourself. There's no question. And look, the reality is it's hard to know who you are. Yeah. You know, so people say, be yourself. Da, da, da. And I always ask the next question. I'm like, okay, but who am yeah, I? Yeah. <laughs> can you please tell me so I can figure out what I need to do? Um, the, 
and that's a hard question. You know, who am I? What am I doing here? That's that's why earlier I like that question of like, how do I want to be remembered? That was kind of helpful to me mm-hmm. to think about a little bit. Yeah. When you when you when you ask yourself that, um, it's I don't know. It's an interesting way to think about that. And that's why I started painting, just because every I'm really frustrated because every design thing I've ever made is gone, man. Anything I've made at YouTube or Google or Dig or Oakley or wherever I've worked, dude, it's all gone. It went on the internet and now it's been like redesigned and it's gone. Hmm. And I hate that. Like it bums me out. Um, I hate that the stuff that we do is like here today and gone tomorrow. So that's why I started painting. I wanted something around. I don't and the, and I can't answer why. Like it's maybe a little prideful and like an ego thing to like want something <laughs> left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I don't know. It's hard to know. Look, I'm I'm an I'm an old dude in this game. I'm 42 and been worked at a lot of companies and had a lot of different roles. And I still struggle with like who am I and what I, what do I want to be when I grow up, and it's a <laughs> you know it's it and and that's okay. I think it's okay to change. It's okay to not be so hard on yourself and think about. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should open up a bagel shop or make salsa or I don't know. I don't know what the next gener the next twenty years are going to be of my life or the next thirty years of my life. I'm okay. And if it's designing, that's okay too. I'm okay making logos till I die. I don't mind that. I like it. It's fun and it pays well and I can provide for my family. So, you know, whatever's, whatever's bra. (laughs) I think that's a great uh, place to finish the conversation. (laughs) Okay. Mark, thanks a lot for, for your time and to, for really honest, honest answers. I just want to give you an opportunity at the end to, share wherever the listeners can find you or if you have any ask or message for them whatever um go ahead i only have two words drink water i knew it (laughs) i read it like on all of your (laughs) medium posts (laughs) i was actually waiting for this to be the point where i asked you what would you give uh, advice would you give to a young designer but then (laughs) I, yeah, I, I'm sorry to disappoint. No, it's okay. But I do think drink, I do think drinking water, you'll stay healthier, better skin. Your head will be more clear. It just tends to solve a lot of problems. And be grateful that if you have clean, if you have clean water to drink, just be really grateful. You be grateful by drinking it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Cool. Well, thanks again, Mark. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Cool. This is the end of the episode. If you like the show or this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or any other podcast app. This really helps me a lot with uh, getting other great guests and also helps other listeners find the show on this crowded podcast market. And again, if you do want to learn more about business, you can visit thebeyondusers.com and take a five-day email course And uh, in these emails, you can basically learn about five uh, business concepts that are relevant for designers. Thanks for your attention and see you next time.